Thank you, Zoom. <laughs> wow, this is beautiful. <laughs> uh, I think I'll begin with just a quote from the Lojong. Uh, in the Vajrayana tradition, the Lojong plays a very key, a key, key part. Um, it's been a part of the uh, Mahayana and Vajrayana tradition since, I guess, Atisha, 800, and then later uh, translated in, by different authors. But one of the, the one of the slogans, there's 60 slogans, seven parts and 60 slogans. And one of the slogans that stands out to me from part three, emptiness is the best protection. So protecting us from what, right? How is emptiness the best protection? If we see reality, I mean, basically the Buddha is teaching us reality, right? The Buddha is offering us a view of reality. And once we perceive reality, once we can gather that in for what it is, not what we assume it to be or want it to be, <clears throat> what it was or what it is in this moment, um, that that frees us. So it's protecting us from, um, basically from life experiences, feeling conditioned, feeling identified with anything that we've experienced. Growing up as a child, <clears throat> we uh, live in a certain kind of house, certain kind of family dynamic, emotional, cultural, certain neighborhood. And we gather assumptions that this is how life is. Uh, we assume that this is what's safe or dangerous, and uh, this is what's beneficial or harmful. And... Um, so that's a worldview. We, we've already, even as a child, <clears throat> we've already gathered a worldview of how things are. And um, that worldview leads us to have assumptions. This is how things are, right? And those assumptions lead to expectations, which lead to hurt, disappointment, frustration, irritation, anger, maybe even, God forbid, resentment, right? So that's that's kind of a chain, isn't it? It's it's a it's a chain that we carry with us. We carry it around with us. Uh, how we're looking at things, how we're responding to things, how we're interacting with each other, how we are with ourselves. Uh, we're just it's kind of this burden that we're carrying around with us, and it distorts our view. It distorts reality. Right? So if emptiness is the best protection, then it would have to be the nature of reality, wouldn't it? I mean, the best protection is seeing things as they are, seeing ourselves as we are, right? Not distorting that, not confusing that, not being deluded by that, not having false assumptions or unreasonable expectations <coughs> about how we're living, how we're thinking, how we're feeling, how we're interacting, relating with others. Right. 
So what does it mean then that empty, what is the emptiness part? It's beautiful the way you guys chant this this morning. I mean, that whole, that whole, I think that's new. I, I don't think, I don't remember doing that before, but maybe we did. Um, that whole lengthy piece on, on emptiness. So that's our that's our meditation, isn't it? it? Is to is to give us a, give ourselves a chance to shift the view from here to here, and observe what's arising, and notice front and foremost that uh, it's impermanent, isn't it? Everything that's arising is impermanent, and that's probably that's probably the best entry point into emptiness is recognizing just impermanence. Everything's arising and dissolving. So this morning I wanted to talk a little bit about just kind of that process. These are my notes. Uh, this is part of a pamphlet, and I'll make it available afterwards because we'll be covering a little bit of material here. So <clears throat> Confucius is um, given credit for saying, uh, there are three ways to grow wise. Uh, the easiest way is the imitation. Right? Like you see something, someone's doing something successful, uh, living a life that looks good, then you just kind of get in that line, right? Get on that path. Right? Uh, study, going to school, getting an education. Right? All of these things are kind of imitation. We're taking what's been and 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 imitating that, observing that. So imitation is the is the easiest. Um, experience is the most difficult. And this is life experience, isn't it? I mean, life is difficult. You know, it can be very difficult. And meditation is the most noble. So the easiest, the most difficult, and the most noble. Right? So I I look at that, <clears throat> I've kind of translated that as maturing. This is a process of maturing. We use all three, don't we? It's not like we're just imitating and just getting by as easy as we can, or we're just kind of skipping through life and not having difficult experiences. Um, and of course, the meditation part, that's a path into itself, isn't it? And so calling it the most noble is because there's really no, there's nothing outer to be gained by it, right? Meditation is, is, is an inner growth. It's not imitating the world or experiencing the world. It's, it's an inner, inner, inner maturity. So I see this as part of the four maturities. We all go through the four maturities. Uh, the first one is physical. And uh, we mature physically, basically by staying healthy, right? Which is naturally mature, right? Our body will mature, age, go through it, the whole process. <clears throat> we mature mentally or intellectually by taking an interest in the world, study, engaging, right? In relationships, whatever. Um, we uh, we learn about ourselves, we learn about the world, and we develop intellectually, right? mentally or intellectually. Third, we mature emotionally. 
And this is kind of, see how this correlates with life experience being the most difficult, right? Because it's difficult emotional experiences that mature us, aren't they? I mean, that's the path, isn't it? Being able to work with, uh, understand, learn and grow from difficult experiences. This is why in the Vajrayana, you often hear it said, Karma is the path. It's not something to be avoided. It's not something to be cured. It's not something to be gotten rid of. Karma is the path. It's how we're learning. It's what's teaching us. It's what's offering us the experience we need to be able to have a, a more accurate and profound relationship with reality. Right? So emotionally, we mature through life experiences. Difficult life experiences. So we don't want to shy away from that. You know, I mean, the tendency may be something's difficult. You know, let's get rid of it. You know, you know, what can I do? You know, somehow I've got to get around this, right? We have to go through it. Can't get around it. We have, there's a country western song that say you can't get around it. You got to go through it. I think there's something like that. But yeah, that's a lot of wisdom because uh, that is how we mature emotionally is through difficult life experiences. And then the fourth maturity is spiritual. And spiritual maturity is conscious work, conscious effort, where I'm learning how to pay attention, not just what to pay attention to, but how to pay attention, how how to view my experiences. And so, this is where meditation is so essential, is because we're learning objectivity uh, or equanimity, which is, I think, even a better word, right? Having a more equanimous mind, a mind that is more neutral, not so reactive, not so judgmental, not so critical, not negative, right? We're noticing this, right? This is kind of how we're maturing spiritually. And we're also seeing how things are connected, interconnected, interdependent, impermanent. We're getting we're getting the full we're getting the full dimension now of reality. Right? So those are the four maturities. But we can I'll take questions on any of these later. But I'll kind of go through this. So another thing that's uh, kind of an old an old way of looking at things, an old um, an old view is, are the five skandhas. Are you all familiar with the five skandhas? The five skandhas are kind of the uh, skandhas is sometimes tra- translated as heaps or groupings, right? Of of reality, uh, of kind of h- how we are, right? H- how we. Uh, how we, the, the reality of our existence, right? And the Buddha, it's it said that the Buddha pointed this out, pointed out the skandhas as a means to see that in each one there's no center, there's no control, there's no self, right? In each of the skandhas, there, you, can, you can examine and there's no sense of, there's no self, there's no, that's in control of what's going on, of, of how life is. So the traditional five skandhas, and I have to read them because I've changed it. Um, 
So form, consciousness, feeling, perception, and intention was the original order. Form, consciousness, feeling, perception, and, tr- and intention. So I've translated form as life form, right? All life forms right? um, have certain things in common. And, and the most essential thing that all life forms have in common is awareness. So consciousness now becomes awareness. Consciousness is more maybe the more universal aspect of, of, of reality. Um, theoretical physicists are working on a mathematical formula for consciousness. Isn't that interesting? You know, um, you know, when we had a mathematical formula for electricity, look what it's look what it's resulted in. Right? Look at all the technology, all the electrical, the way that's become practical. When we had a, a mathematical formula for um, a, a nuclear fission, you know. Look what look what's unfolded there as a source of, of energy, uh, also as a force of destruction too. But uh, so theoretical physicists are, are looking are working on a, on, a, on a mathematical formula for consciousness because they have come to the realization that consciousness is the essence of everything that exists. Everything that everything in universe is can be understood as consciousness, okay? So our little part of that, like our little human, you know, brain, body, a part of that is awareness, right? So awareness is, is absolutely essential to survival, isn't it? We, we, we have to perceive, we have to, you know, be aware, right? You know, so yeah. I, I'm seeing that as kind of the second scan. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this much the same way we look at the six. I think was it the last time we talked, or a couple times ago, we talked about the six perfections. And I'm seeing that the, the five skand is kind of in that vein, where it's a way of seeing what we already are, right? Not a, not as a way of maybe dismissing the idea of a sense of a self, but to see it as as integral and integral or elemental part of who we are or how we already are, right? So we have life, we have awareness. What else do we have? We have virtue. We have virtue. We would not be alive without virtue. So how do we understand virtue? Probably the most direct means of of getting virtue is love, right? Loving, kind, caring, generous, patient, love, right? Virtue. So that's that's essential to who we are, to how we, we already are. We don't have to go out and get awareness. We don't have to go out and get virtue. So some schools will teach that, well, the way to get virtue is just to act virtuous, right? Just to be, be nice. Okay? Just be a nice person. You know? You know, put on a nice face. Right? But that's not the Dharma, is it? The Dharma is to, is to say, well, no, let's go, let's go to the essence of that and be aware of maybe how we're out of integrity with virtue. What's the reality of, of how I'm expressing this virtue that I already have? How's that, how's that showing up, right? <clears throat> with myself, with others, in situations. Right? 
getting a getting a tech person on the phone that doesn't really know what they're doing, right? Can be impatient, can it? Getting cut off in traffic. That can be that's kind of a difficult moment, isn't it? Right? There's a lot of these, aren't there, where we find ourselves reacting, right? Like that, you know. So rather than being critical and judgmental about that with ourselves, right? oh, I'm so stupid, man. Why can't I, you know, why can't I get this right? Well, the more loving approach is, well, what's my part in this situation? What's my part in what just happened? Yeah, somebody cut me off, but you know, maybe they have to get to the hospital and maybe he's late to work. Who knows what's going on? You know, just because they're driving a big truck doesn't mean that they're a jerk. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> what's my part in in that reaction, in that moment of 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 frustration or irritation or even anger, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah. So rather than shying away from uh, uh, any moments of non-virtue, we want to pay attention to that, don't we? We want to notice that, just be aware of it, but without more judgment. The Lojong slogan that I made up is, "Don't judge the judging." Right. I judge myself, then I judge myself again. I judge the judging. I keep judging. No. Right? Just, just notice it. So that's our meditation is allowing us just to be present to that moment without having to make a story about it, without having to have a label for it, without having to judge it. Right? This is how we mature virtue. This is how we mature the virtue that's already present is being having greater presence to how we are without negativity, without judgment, right? particularly without shame. Right? But shame is very powerful, isn't it? Guilt is very powerful. You know, working in the prison, I, I work a lot with uh, individuals that have been living with shame and guilt for quite a while, and that's very difficult. Shame is saying, because I did a bad thing, I'm a bad person. It's not true. We all have this Buddha. We all have this virtue. We all have this. We all have this. What we're, what we're here about, what the Dharma is about, the awakening potential, you can call it that. Uh, we all have it. And it doesn't matter what we do, where we go, what we say, what we think, how we are. We always have that. We're never separate from that. So the challenge is to recognize it, right? And when we're having a difficult moment, we recognize that. And that's how we, that's how we, uh, we're not so much cultivating virtue as we are realizing it's already there, realizing it, right? How to be more loving, more caring, more kind, right? This is the bodhi, we call it the bodhicitta, right? The awakened mind, right? Is is the is the loving, caring sense of how we are. Okay. So then the fourth the fourth skanda is uh, cognizance. Okay. We have life. We have awareness. We have virtue. We have cognizance. Right? So you know it's not like a Christmas story. That you, have, that, you know you have to put it together. You know. We come pre-assembled, right? We already have this cognizance. We have this mind of reason that can think and, and whatever. So, um, 
we 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 want it's a very extraordinary tool our cognizance our intelligence it's a fantastic tool so we just we just recognize that we we develop that we use it to make good choices don't we we use it for discernment right? our cognizance is allowing us to be more discerning right we don't we don't necessarily have to always just pick and choose right we can discern is this more appropriate is this more skillful is this more accurate right so our, our gift of, of cognizance is allowing us to be very discerning and then the fifth is intention yeah and it's easy to think that because i have this intention that's who i am right you can see why the buddha included intention in the first five because you can think that that's what's in control is this combination of all the above having an intention. So we have an intention with everything we do. Everything we do has an intention. Watching a game, getting up, going in the kitchen, opening the refrigerator. You know, there's a game, there's there's an intention all the way through there. there? So um, again, here's we just being aware of that, we want to be skillful. So those are the five skandhas. So I want to read you something that was um, was it's a translation. Gil Fransdale uh, has written a book a couple of years ago called "The Buddha Before Buddhism." Have you read it? "The Buddha Before Buddhism." Uh, it's a beautiful piece. Uh, it's a translation of what's known as 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 the um, the Book of Eights, and they were. Uh, the earliest translations we have, or the earliest sutras that we have of the Buddha. So it's kind of even, that's why he said Buddha before Buddhism. It's like even pre-Theravadan, right? Where he's just talking about reality. He's just um, giving discourses on reality, and, and a lot of it is question and answer. Uh, it's quite quite a beautiful little book, Buddha before Buddhism. So there's a, there's one part here, let's see, it's in the Mahabhyas. Mahabhura Sutra from the Book of Eights. <clears throat> Free of worldly ties, sages here don't follow any faction in a dispute. Peaceful among those not at peace, equanimous, thinking that is what others hold on to. They don't hold on to anything. Having given up old contaminants without forming new ones, they neither pursue desires nor get entrenched in doctrines. Free from viewpoints, not clinging to the world, wise ones have no self-reproach. They are not an enemy to any doctrine, seen, heard, or thought out. Not forming opinions, not shut down, and not desirous. They are sages wise ones who have laid their burden down. So, um, it's quite beautiful, isn't it? Um, that translates as not having any beliefs. What do you think of that? Not having any beliefs. Can you see how a belief would get in the way of reality? I believe this is true. So I've come to think of a belief as a question. 
it's not that we don't have beliefs, not that we don't experience beliefs, but to view them as a question. I believe this is true, rather than this is true. Rather than seeing a belief as a fact, see it as a question, an opportunity to make an inquiry, to maybe have a deeper insight into whatever it is that we have a belief about. I mean, we can believe that one team is going to win today and the other one is, you know, we can pick that, right? We can have the belief that that's true, but we know that it's not true until it's true, until the game's over. And it's pretty much true with all of our beliefs. It's an anticipation. A belief is is oftentimes just anticipating something. And of course, if we're anticipating, then there's going to be an assumption behind that anticipation or expectation, right? So a belief is a way to kind of look at, well, what do I assume? What what am I assuming about reality here? What am I assuming is true? That can be very helpful that way, just to kind of get a little bit more intimate with how our mind is working. But you can imagine uh, the Buddha, at the time of the Buddha, telling his disciples, don't believe in anything. I mean, I'm sure he didn't say it in just that way, but if it's going to come off like that, right? Don't believe in anything. That that could be pretty challenging, couldn't it? Not too different than what Jesus was talking about, is it? Right? When Jesus said, you know, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill the law. That's the second covenant, right? Love, love God, love yourself, love your neighbor. All the same way, right? So there's nothing too much to believe there, is there? It's just... It's just an instruction. So belief can be very helpful. Just just being aware of my beliefs and wanting to be as accurate as I can be. Have have integrity with reality on that one. Excuse me. So in the Vajrayana, the instruction is nothing to hold on to, nothing to let go of. That's a meditation instruction. Nothing to hold on to, nothing to let go of. So I notice a tendency to kind of hold on to a thought and kind of maybe feel a little bit identified by a life experience, and or I can feel a difficulty causing me to be feel a little unsettled and I want to get rid of that. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to, you know, you have to let go of it. Nothing to hold on to, nothing to let go of. So, um, I have no idea how we're doing time-wise, but I'm going to, I'm getting close to finishing up here. So there's another thing I'd like to read, um, and this is coming from Longchenpa. Longchen Rabjim, who's like kind of the founder of Tibetan Buddhism, you would have to say, um, the founder of the Vajrayana. Um, the supreme teachings involve no concerted effort to accept or reject. Naturally occurring, timeless awareness, the essence of awakened mind itself, is made fully evident in that one does not waver from the direct experience of it. There's no need to strive for it elsewhere. It rests in and of itself, so do not seek it elsewhere. We have everything we need. 
We have life, we have awareness, we have virtue, we have cognizance. Now we just have to have a good intention. Right? That's I think that's I, I think that's a very helpful message, eh? You know, when I'm talking to when I'm talking when I'm working in the prison, um, one of the first questions I ask is, Do you know you're a good person? You know, a group of convicts sitting there. Do you know you're you're a good person? Does everybody in this room know that you're a good person? I'm asking you that now. Do you know that you're a good person? In your heart of hearts, do you know you're a good person? Every once in a while, I'll get a no. Right? Not very often. But I mean, even people in, in 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 prison, even people in that situation, just given a moment of reflection on that question, have to say, yes, I know I'm a good person, right? So then the question comes, well, why would a good person do a bad thing? Right. I mean, we, that's the next obvious question, right? I know I'm a good person. Why do I do a bad thing? Habit. Habit. Conditioning. Life experiences. Assuming that what I've experienced is who I am. Right? Because I've had this experience, this is who I am. Well, you know, it certainly has shaped uh, a persona, hasn't it? It certainly helped me mature, but it's not the definitive answer. I think that's I think that's what's important to keep in mind. So, what I'm not believing is I'm not so much caught up in believing my own thoughts. Right? There's two kinds of doubt. There's there's one kind of doubt that is kind of debilitating, right? You know, I just I just can't figure this out. I can't get this. I don't know what to do next. But the other kind of doubt is inquiring doubt, right? I can have this question, right? And see it as a question rather than seeing it as a definitive answer, right? And I think that's our challenge as meditators is to give ourselves the opportunity in this inner conversation, this inner dynamic that we have going on with ourselves in meditation to just be very skillful, right? To just see things as quite, see it as a question. Right? See it as a tendency. See it as a pattern or a habit. Well, this is what I'm used to doing. This is how I'm used to thinking. This is how I like to feel, right? As a pattern, but not as definitive. Not defining me. Not who, not who I am, right? Ramon Maharshi said, just follow the I am. That was his teaching. Just follow this sense of I am. This is who I am, right? It's very skillful. We have all these all these sources in which to draw, to be so skillful in our practice, to mature spiritually. Right? So my wish is that we all mature spiritually. Right? Rupert, uh, Rupert Spear. Oh, sorry. <laughs> can't do this. <laughs> well, you can't do that. Okay. <laughs> That's one of the do nots. <laughs> I was just going to quote Rupert Spirit at the end. Um, awareness, being awareness, is awareness itself. Just being aware, being aware. And notice the tendency for a judgment, for an attitude, for an opinion, for a belief. Just notice it. 
very helpful to notice it. You know, we don't just have to sit, you know, you know that's not it. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.